It's Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. Pull up a chair and join us. Here's a startling statistic. One in 10 Americans, including children, are taking antidepressant drugs. And the World Health Organization predicts that by the year 2030, more people worldwide will be affected by depression. Dr. Andrew Weil is known as the father of integrative medicine, and he's joining us today to discuss the world's fastest growing epidemic, depression. Good morning, Dr. Weil. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Well, you're, you're, you've had some spontaneous happiness, so there is a good outcome to all of this. But tell us a little bit about this epidemic of depression. It's unprecedented in human history. I think some of it is manufactured by the medical pharmaceutical industry, which has been very effective at convincing people that ordinary states of sadness are matters of unbalanced brain chemistry that require drug treatment. Uh, I don't believe that. We're not supposed to be happy all the time. Our moods are supposed to vary, although we're not supposed to get stuck in the lows or have them be so low that they interfere with uh, our daily living. If you take that away, we're still left with a great deal of depression to explain. Um, I think it's really a product of modern life. In essence, um, the life that our genes prepared us for and the life that most of us actually live have become very different. Uh, If you... If you look at the few hunter-gatherer societies left on the planet today, depression is non-existent. Um, And what are those people doing different from us? Everything. You know, they're eating real food. They are not disconnected from nature. They enjoy the uh, protection of tribal and social support. They're getting regular physical activity. They're not subject to the information overload that Mm -hmm. we are. Now, all those features of modern life, I think, combine to undermine our emotional well-being. Dr. Wow, you know, our bodies have sort of evolved in that we've gotten taller and we've, you know, changed over time a bit. Do you think our genes will evolve to catch up with modern life or will modern life always be 10 steps ahead of our genes? Well, the problem is that modern life is changing so fast yeah. uh, that it may not, our genes may not be able to catch up with that. For example, I mentioned uh, that these primitive societies that, that, enjoy the protection of of strong social support. In my lifetime, I really can observe uh, increasing social isolation in this culture. Um, You know, when I was growing up, uh, people knew their neighbors. It's very common today not to know your neighbors. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can spend more time living in our insulated cocoons with our own entertainment centers. We interact more virtually with people than we do really Uh, You know, a lot of things are feeding into this, but social isolation strongly predisposes to um, depression, Uh, and I I don't think our genes can, can keep up with that. It's happened too fast. Well, it sounds like somewhere in that is part of, of the information you offer in your book, Spontaneous Happiness, in that there's a way around social isolation, isn't there? I mean, that's within our own power, isn't it? Absolutely, and many of these things are within our own power. For example... Um, happiness is contagious, as is depression. Um, You can make an inventory of people in your life in whose company you feel more positive and more optimistic, and you can spend more time with them. Mm -hmm. So that's a simple thing you can do. You can limit um, information overload. You can pay attention to mental nutrition. You know, what you feed your mind is as important as what you feed your body. If you consistently listen to sad music, watch sad movies, read sad books, the chances are you're going to be sadder than if you, if you took other stuff in. 
Well, you mentioned that, you know, moods are meant to be there and that we aren't all meant to be happy all the time. And, and, you know, you just shouldn't get stuck in the lows. But how does one know? At what point do you say, okay, this has just been a bad week? Or, or at what point, what are the signals that someone should look for that they really, in fact, are depressed? I think if, uh, if depression is interfering with eating, uh, with enjoyment of activities that formerly brought pleasure, uh, if you don't want to get out of bed, if your work suffers, if your social interactions suffer, you know, those are all signs that you should really go to a mental health professional mm-hmm. and uh, find out you know, exactly what the condition is and what needs to be done. And say they look at you and say, okay, take this little pill. You've seen the commercial for it. You know, we all know about all these little commercials. As you say, we're so bombarded. We think we need stuff. We might not. But you've got other solutions for us or additional solutions for us, don't Definitely. you? First of all, there's a growing body of evidence that in, in many cases, if not most cases, these drugs work no better than placebos. And it may only be in very severe depression that you can demonstrate an advantage over placebo. And the drugs are not benign. So if you do need to take them, you know, if you're very depressed, even then, I think you want to limit the period of use, you know, maybe to a year. And at that point, you want to wean off and find other strategies. First of all, there are, other, there are natural products that you can take, things like St. John's wort or Sami, um, an herb called holy basil or ashwagandha from India. Uh, you can take supplemental fish oil, correct vitamin D levels. But then there's all these lifestyle changes, making sure you're getting enough physical activity, uh, really uh, practicing some form of meditation, stress reduction. Um, there's, there's just such a range of possibilities, and you want to implement as many of these as possible. Well, you know, I like the way that you've got the book breaking out into the theory, the practice, and putting it all together. And, and of course, you mentioned optimizing emotional well-being by caring for the body. And a lot of people first think depression is the head, but you're starting with the body. Yes, and, uh, you know, the first thing you want to make sure of is that a physical problem is not contributing to this. For example, um, hypothyroidism often causes depression. And I've seen a number of cases of people who were put on antidepressant medication for some time before anybody bothered to check thyroid function, and that was the problem. Uh, Other kinds of endocrine uh, disorders may cause depression. A lot of the drugs that people use, both prescription and over-the-counter and recreational, can cause depression. For example, antihistamines really affect mood. Um, wow. Sleeping pills that people take do. Uh, there are drugs used to treat asthma that cause anxiety. So, you know, you, you want to go over all this stuff. Caffeine can be a major contributor to anxiety in people's lives. Uh, alcohol use. Uh, can contribute to depression. So, you know, all of this needs to be looked at. Wow, there's a lot definitely to think about. Well, and you mentioned, of course, caring for the body and then retraining and caring for the mind. So some of this, can we retrain ourselves out of a depressed state? Yes, I think some of it can be done. You know, the the Eastern techniques of, of focused attention, uh, mindfulness training, learning to bring full attention to the present moment, I think is very valuable. But there's Western psychotherapy techniques that are new and are much more cost-effective and time-effective than older forms. For example, cognitive behavioral therapy, 
widely available now, extremely useful, can teach you to identify and change thought patterns that lead to depression and to feeling bad about yourself. And, and, you know, say you are diagnosed and say you are taking all of the right steps. Depression isn't necessarily something then that you have forever, is it? I mean, you do, do you have, once you're depressed, no, are you... No, de- in fact, we were, we were always taught that depression was self-limited, that it would resolve. Now, one of the things, one of the real possibilities today is that the antidepressant drugs may actually prolong depression. Uh, and that the longer that you take them, uh, the more likely you are to have to take them. If you boost, if you give a drug that boosts serotonin in the brain, the brain responds by making less serotonin and dropping serotonin receptors. So the drug may create its own need. And this is why I say that if you've been on one of these things for a year, it's worth weaning off uh, and finding other measures. You, you should do that with the help of, a, of the person who prescribed the drug. So does the, is the average family physician that someone might see that might put people on these kind of medications or make these diagnoses, are they cognizant of this? Are they saying, wow, you've been on this long enough, you should get off? I mean, are they partners in this, or, or do we really no, all need to be? So. I think that, no, I think this is new information, and uh, you know, I, I have already heard from uh, many mental health professionals who said that they found the book Spontaneous Happiness very useful, mm-hmm. are giving it to their colleagues and to their patients. And one of the things I hope to do is to really stimulate the development of a new field of integrative mental health in which practitioners really are aware of all this. Oh, that would be great. You know, it's interesting. I saw an interview with Jane Fonda the other day, of all people, and she was talking about Vietnam and her experience there. This is sounding a little off topic, but it's not. And she had some mental illness in her family, and she said what she realized, it was sort of like Vietnam. We didn't know our enemy. You need to know your Uh enemy. Isn't that a great analogy? And so I think it is. So if people are really having this issue, you've got to learn all that you can about your problem. And sometimes maybe you're going to educate your doctor. And one way to do it is with Dr. Weil's book, Spontaneous Happiness. And Dr. Weil, I I noticed on your um, website that you have an eight-week plan or something people can sign up for. Yes, it's in the book and on the website, spontaneoushappiness.com. Uh, this is all broken down into doable, actionable steps spread over an eight-week period. And I guarantee that if people do this at the end of it, you will have improved emotional well-being. Wow, that's great. Well, there's a couple of websites. One is drweil.com. The other is spontaneoushappiness.com. And, of course, I'll put all of Dr. Weil's information on amystable.com as well. But, Dr. Weil, thank you so much. Very interesting to speak with you today, and we really appreciate all your insight. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening to Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. For more, visit Amy's blog with Q102 online at WKRQ.com.